Our epistle lesson and sermon text is from the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Again, give your ear to God's holy word. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praises to you, and again I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through, the de- that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who, f- who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for its testimony to your son Jesus and to his death on the cross. And Lord, we pray that as we consider him and we consider the cross tonight, that you would grow our love for your son and you would increase our faith in your goodness toward us, that we would be conformed into his image. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Please be seated. There was a Buddhist monk in Georgia that used to attend our ESL lessons that we would give weekly at a local church. And I don't remember his name. I do remember that he very often would wear his full orange and maroon monk, Buddhist monk get-up, if you've ever seen uh, Tibetan Buddhists, and that he would always ask really good questions. And one day in Rachel's ESL class, he raised his hand and he asked the question, what is Good Friday? Now, if there was a holiday with any sort of ties to Christianity in our ESL class, we would always talk about that under the rubric of cultural exchange. And it was a wonderful way to speak about God and the scriptures and the gospel and faith to these students from all over the world. And that week was the week of Easter, and so we were telling our classes about everything during the week running up to Easter. We started, there's Palm Sunday the week before, and then there's Maundy Thursday. It's not Monday Thursday, but Maundy Thursday, where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and gave us the command to love one another. And then there's Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And on that day, and then he raised his hand and said, wait, what was, what was Good Friday? And so Rachel had to answer and say, oh, Good Friday. Good Friday is when Jesus suffered and died on the cross. And three days later, on Easter Sunday, 
as he shoots his hand up again and asks another good question. If that's where Jesus died on the cross, why is that good? Why is that good Friday? See, being unfamiliar with Christianity, for him, the cross still retained its image as a device of torture and pain and shame. To call your master's death on a cross good was a scandal. Time and use have rendered the cross familiar to us, to us, but you have to remember that in the context of the early church and places where Christianity is not common, having something like a giant wooden cross plastered on your wall, like the one behind me here, would be something akin to walking into a place of worship and seeing a hangman's noose suspended from the rafters. It would arrest your attention. It certainly arrested the attention of our friend that night. He wanted to know, why did Jesus suffer as he did? And how can a day that is so solemn and dark also be good? You have to understand, his questions are not merely academic, philosophical questions. Every worldview, indeed every person, has to find some way to deal with the problem of suffering. And our friend that night intuited that perhaps in the sufferings of Jesus on the cross, there was a way of understanding his own suffering, something that we all experience in this fallen world to one degree or another. That certainly was the experience of the Hebrew Christians to whom this letter was written. In part, the book of Hebrews was written to encourage Christians who were undergoing what the author calls in chapter 10, a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes having fellowship with those so treated. It's Hebrews 10.32. And while it's not entirely clear what the nature of their suffering or their persecution was, we can tell from other parts of the letter, it seems that they wanted to hold on to certain aspects of the Old Covenant, maybe to mitigate persecution from the Jews. But whatever their situation, it is clear that the suffering that they were experiencing threatened to erode their confidence in Jesus and tempt them to neglect their great salvation in Christ. The letter was written in part to exhort them to pay closer attention to what they'd heard. And the author wants to place Jesus in his suffering, and in his resurrection before their eyes. The Hebrews were not different from us in that pain can take our focus off of our salvation and put it on other things. In pain, we can focus perhaps on the pain itself or turn over and over and over again in our minds what seemed like an unfair situation and begin to ask questions like, what's the use in believing in God if my life is going to have such intense suffering? Or do the scriptures address questions like the ones that I'm undergoing, or should I look elsewhere for help? We might look for an escape of some kind, maybe through food or sleep or alcohol or entertainment, all things that are fine in and of themselves, but misused if we use them to distract ourselves from the problems of life and pain. The Hebrew Christians are likewise subject to the frailty of what the author calls in verse 14 being flesh and blood. They were humans like us, capable of physical suffering. In human life, everyone has physical pain. Even 
little kids get cuts and bruises or broken bones playing on the playground. You might put your hand or your foot on a stove and get burned. And as you move through life, you may have chronic pain or ailments where your body seems to rebel against you day after day, or you may have to undergo surgery and recovery, and we all see our faculties diminish with age. Physical suffering as a reality of being flesh and blood. But even more acutely, perhaps, there's psychological or emotional suffering. Again, this can begin early in life as we experience rejection or isolation, not being invited to events or chosen for games. We could be mocked or humiliated. We might undergo loneliness. The realization when you wake up in the morning that there is no prospect for meaningful human contact for you today. That can be an awful existence. Any of us who have lost a loved one understand the ache that comes from realizing that at least in this life, you will not see this person that means so very much to you again. We can be betrayed. To have someone surprise you in a way that breaks your trust and leaves you completely flat-footed. These are all psychological and emotional forms of suffering. They're part of being flesh and blood in a fallen world. And underneath all of this is spiritual suffering. That dread realization of being alienated from God. The knowledge of God and the fear of death that the unbelieving world tries so hard to suppress but often manifests itself as a deep sense of meaningless and dread. If we get to the bottom of the black well of suffering, we find the spring of sin. The scriptures teach us that sin is the source of our suffering, beginning with our first parents' rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden. Whether they are personal sins committed by us or sins committed by other people against us or just from living in a world that is fallen and justly cursed by God, our suffering arises out of sin. And it is in that context of writing to frail and suffering flesh and blood humans that the author of Hebrews and this day of Good Friday puts before our eyes the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. We are asked to contemplate the sufferings of Christ. And when we do, there we see a man who had no sins of his own and yet is at the utter limit of human suffering. On the cross, Jesus was in excruciating, literally excruciate, from the cross, pain. He was at the limits of physical pain. There he was pinned and immobilized on an instrument of torture as he slowly asphyxiated and bled from the lacerations. There's also terrible psychological and emotional suffering on the cross. Jesus was just recently betrayed by someone close denied and abandoned by his friends. He is mocked and spit upon by passers-by, rejected and humiliated by his people. It's terrible psychological pain at the cross. And yet, press it further, Jesus cries from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In some mysterious way, he experienced in his person the wrath of God against sin, even though he had none of his own. And so we return to the question that our friend asked at the beginning in our class. Why? 
Why did Jesus suffer the utter limits of human pain? And what about that is good? We are told in verse 17 of our text today, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The sufferings of Jesus on the cross are good because in them he acted as our high priest, propitiating, that is turning aside, turning away, satisfying God's wrath against our sin, which is the wellspring of all of our other sufferings. Like the high priest in Israel who once a year would take on the Day of Atonement, would take the sacrificial blood into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the people for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus on the cross offered the true sacrifice in body and spirit to God that takes away the sin, the guilt of your sin and mine. As Romans 8, 8, 8, 1 tells us, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The sufferings of Jesus are good news for you because the guilt of sin that is the cause of all of your other sufferings is atoned for on the cross that Jesus took up. It was nailed to the cross and it remains there. You are fully and freely forgiven of all of your sins through Christ as we tell you each and every week. And the reason that that's true for you is because Jesus suffered on this cross. He had to be perfect and sinless. God incarnate himself in order to be faithful, but he also needed to be a true man like us in every way except for sin in order to die in our place. It is only in the God-man, united in the person of Jesus Christ, who could say from the cross, both, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The glorious result of this sacrifice is the total forgiveness of our sins. And as verse 18 tells us, the ever-available compassion of our high priest for us in times of trial and temptation. That's what it says. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. Now, we're tempted means a a testing, a trial. It means also being tempted and enticed by sin, but also undergoing trials of various kinds. As you undergo spiritual trials in particular in your life, you may know that Jesus has experienced the utter depths of those trials and paid for all of the sins so that you can approach him and find grace. You can go to him readily and obtain mercy and find grace for help in time of need, as it says in chapter 4. But Jesus did not suffer merely in spirit, as we saw in verse 14, which says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to to lifelong slavery. Jesus' sufferings on the cross are good. They are good news for you because he entered in the totality of our flesh and blood experience, the totality of our humanity to redeem 
all of us. It says the church father, Gregory of Nancyanza, said, that which he has not assumed, he has not healed, but that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. He's referencing the fact that Jesus took onto himself full and true humanity, the full and true humanity of our experience, and through his death and resurrection, redeemed that. So as we think through the types of suffering that we experience in our life, as we have experienced rejection and isolation or psychological pain, it is through the death of Jesus that we are welcomed into God's presence and loved by him as beloved children. We know that God is working even in and through our physical sufferings, as Paul tells us, to work in us an eternal weight of glory on the last day. And though the pain of losing loved ones, loved ones is still acute, we do not mourn as those without hope, because we know in the death and resurrection of Jesus that our separation is not forever. Verse 15 tells us that the result of this is a kind of fearlessness of death that allows us to follow Jesus in doing good for others, even at the cost of great suffering. You need to know that God is working that in you today, and he will continue to work that in you through his Holy Spirit as you follow the forerunner of your faith to glory. As it says, in verse 10, it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain or the forerunner of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus was not ashamed to call us brethren. He was not ashamed to come and take on our humanity in its fullest extent and take on our suffering in its fullest extent to atone for our sin. And in doing so, he is bringing us to the glory of Resurrection Sunday. And there's tension here because we do not yet see the glory of Resurrection Sunday completely manifest in our lives, even though Jesus is alive from the dead. Verses 8 and 9 encourage us, however. It says, We do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We do not yet fully experience the glory of the resurrection. Easter Sunday is not yet a complete reality for us, but it is a true reality. And the author of Hebrews puts Jesus in front of our eyes in his sufferings and in his resurrection and teaches us in the sufferings that we go through in life to take our focus off of ourselves, off of our pain, off of our distractions, and to fix them on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. To see that for Jesus, resurrection and Easter Sunday has happened. He is glorified. He is at the right hand of the Father. And so as surely as Jesus is alive from the dead, so surely will he lead you into suffering. or so He will lead you from your suffering into glory. He came down 
and experienced your suffering so that you might follow him into his glory. These are the truths that we contemplate on Good Friday and the ones that we look forward to contemplating on Easter morning coming. May God bless you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the sufferings of your son Jesus who took on true humanity for us and redeemed us completely. Lord, we look forward in faith to that day when the dead will be raised, the tears will be dried, uh, the scars will be healed, and we will be with you forever. We thank you for the down payment of the Spirit in us who works that more and more into our lives, and we thank you for the hope that he inspires. Lord, we pray that you would grow us in faith and love and hope for your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.